Hey, we have an amazing event coming up, the Expert Advantage Workshop Series, where every day for a week, starting on Monday, May 20th, it's myself and another expert coming on to present to you about various kinds of things to help you with your brand and your business. Our brand new experts and residents in pro are gonna be there to co-host these workshops with me, and you're not gonna wanna miss it. You'll have a chance to ask all of them questions, and it's completely free to join. All you have to do is go to smartpassiveincome.com slash advantage. On Monday, May 20th, Amy Nelson's gonna come on, and we're gonna talk social media, but specifically how to drive revenue and connect with important stakeholders that matter to you in your business using social media. The next day, we have Noshin Chen, and she's gonna lead a presentation about how to become a better communicator, how to increase those skills faster, because that's gonna help you not just connect with new people, new clients, but also get your idea across better. Ton of takeaways in that presentation. And all you have to do to sign up and join and get all the links that you need is smartpassiveincome.com slash advantage. Again, one more time, smartpassiveincome.com slash advantage. Join us on our Expert Advantage workshop series. You're not gonna wanna miss it. Again, smartpassiveincome.com slash advantage. Oh, hello, and welcome to the Community Experience Podcast. We are so glad you're here. If you're one of our regulars, you're probably wondering why we haven't published in a while. We actually chose to sunset the show in early 2023, but the feed will stay active because so many of the episodes are timeless. If you want to learn more and search our back catalog, you can visit smartpassiveincome.com slash cxpodcast, all one word. Investing in relationships has nothing to do with revenue, but it also kind of has everything to do with revenue. And like many things in community work, that might be somewhat confusing because, hey, at the end of the day, community is messy. Fortunately, there are things we can do to make it as succinct as possible, which is why we're excited to talk to Rosie Sherry of Rosieland, who will share some of her many great insights based on her own experiences on today's episode of The Community Experience. Hey, hey, everybody, Tony Bacigalupo here, and I've got my co-host, Jillian, as well. Hello. And we are going to be speaking with Rosie Sherry today. She works with a company called Orbit, which helps you get a better handle on what's going on with your members, get some good data on what to do with them. She's just been an amazing community leader, writing and talking about community online through her newsletter and through her Twitter account, which is kind of where I first came to know about her. She also spent a couple of years as the community leader at Indie Hackers, which for those of us who know the Pat Flynn Smart Passive Income side of the world, Indie Hackers is just a really great free online community for folks who are building their businesses. She's just had her hands in a lot of different great community activities. And we're going to learn today a little bit about First of all, her efforts to gracefully exit some of her past efforts and a little bit about how the company she works for uses data to get a better handle on the communities that they work with. And then also just the power of really focusing on the relationships. And we'll get to know a favorite phrase that I've learned from Rosie, which is monthly recurring relationships our new favorite KPI. 
Jillian, what do you think about the episode we've got coming ahead? What are you looking forward to sharing with folks? I think the new take on MRR as a metric is pretty fascinating. But yeah, it's always great to talk to somebody who's been in community for a long time, like myself, and to really just see where their journey took them because it's still so wild and free as an industry, as a career path. And so it's just fascinating to see how people built upon their own. Brucey's got such a chill approach to things too. We'll talk more about that kind of on the other side of it, but I'm just so excited. Definitely check out Rosie's tweets while you're listening or after you're done with the episode, go ahead and have a look at her account. She's at Rosie Sherry and enjoy this conversation while you do that with Rosie Sherry on the community experience. Rosie Sherry, so great to have you on the program. Thanks for taking the time to join us today. Yeah, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, where in the world are you right now, Rosie? I'm in Brighton in the UK. You're in Brighton, so it's a little bit later in the evening there. Thank you again for joining. Rosie, I came to know you through Indie Hackers. You've been a community leader, very visible, very prominent online for a little while now. Where did you kind of start becoming a community builder and how did you end up kind of here sitting with us today? I'll try to be brief, as brief as necessary. I've been living in Brighton, I guess, for around 20 years now. I started out my career in tech as a software tester uh, in Brighton. And as part of kind of living in Brighton and kind of being a tester, I participated, I guess, in the, in the local community, the local tech community. This is kind of going back to like 2005-ish, probably. And... There were lots of kind of like meetups happening, a local conference. I was like, oh, this is cool. I was hanging out. And then I decided to kind of like start my own meetup. I guess that was like my first step into community building. I didn't really see it as community building at the time. I ran a meetup for a couple of years. It was a Girl Geek dinner meetup. And it was just a lot of fun. And every month we did it like a monthly thing. We'd just like gather around, have dinner, have a speaker, and I just met lots of great people and it filled up like every month. Like, oh, it was always like overbooked. And that was just like such a kind of confidence boost for me, I guess. Never having done that, I'm really quite kind of like introverted and would never like get up like in front of people at the front of a room. But, you know, here I was like gathering people. And I was like, whoa, this is fun. And then I guess that led on to other things and. I, I kind of learned about Seth Godin. I started learning about communities and I was like, oh, this looks really fun. I want to do this more than I want to do testing. How can I do more community building and less testing? Two things kind of happened like at the same time. One, I started an online community for, for software testers because uh, I felt like testers needed that and there wasn't really much out there. And also around the same time, Leading on from like the meetups, I ended up kind of like co-founding a co-working space as well. So I did those both kind of at the, at the same time. And as you know, Tony, that was, I guess, fairly early on in the co-working era. I wasn't quite there first, but it's like, you know, it was not a lot going on. That that was so much fun as well. I, I have such good memories from, from those days. 
I did the co-working space for a couple of years. It didn't work out due to business relationships, which is fine. So I just like walked away from it. It was like, felt like the, the right thing to do is just like walk away from the kind of stressful situation. But like Ministry of Testing, which was the, te- the testing community that I founded, that I kept that going. And that had kind of like slowly built up over two or three years. And then come like year three, I decided to kind of turn it into business kind of bootstrapped or indie business, as I would refer to it now. I managed to turn it into a profitable business um, over the course of a few years. Yeah, we hit kind of like 1.5 million in revenue at its peak just before COVID. And, you know, entirely bootstrapped, um, founded by myself. And over the years, kind of, I brought my husband on board to help me do some tech for it, build up a platform as, as it kind of grew. Yeah, I stepped back from that about two and a half years ago, mostly because I kind of lost interest in the testing world and I didn't feel like it was the right thing for me to lead a community when I wasn't like truly passionate about testing anymore. And then I spent a couple of years at Indie Hackers leading their community um, before coming on board to Orbit. I always have much love for my fellow former co-working space owners, and there's just a gathering energy to some of us, especially the early folks. And want to point out, you mentioned being an introvert, and I feel like we're tracking this theory that introverts actually make for terrific community leaders in certain contexts. So we might dig into that some more, but I would love to touch on one of the last things you just talked about, which is this idea of kind of leadership transition and how you go about doing that. It sounds like, stop me if I'm wrong, but... You said that uh, you realize that you really love being a community leader, working in community, but that also you you kind of wanted to step back from running the Ministry of Testing. Have you felt burnt out at all, or do you still feel that incredible kind of sense of exhilaration of of being a community leader, or does it kind of ebb and flow? I think it probably ebbs and flows. I've spoken before to, to quite a few people about like handing over the community, so to speak. And a lot of people are like really surprised that I've actually like managed to do it because, you know, it's tough. And I tried a few times to hand it over. And I think the hardest part for me is when for people who like start businesses and it's making money from the outside, everything looks great. But from the inside, if you don't want to do it anymore, you kind of like feel trapped when you want to do like the best for the community. Like for me, it was a really great community that I had started you know, the vibe was great. You know, I had like, you know, changed people's lives and I'd made friends. I didn't want to sell it because I knew that if I sold it, then yes, I'd probably get a bunch of money, but it would probably die. And I knew that in my heart. But then at the same time, it's like, okay, but like, how do I transition it over to someone else? And how do I find someone who I trust enough? And how do I do that in a way that I feel comfortable? And that was tough because Literally, like, the transition process was two years. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I, I guess, like, the beginning of it was I started working with Richard. We were building trust. He wasn't necessarily coming on board to take it over at that point. It was more like a, let's see if we can work together and we like working together. And then as that as that built up, I guess maybe after a year or so, I was like, okay, was like, I think you should take it over. Let's try to make this work. And then it was like a whole other year at least probably a bit more of actually like teaching him everything I knew about the community so that he could like take it over. I felt trapped throughout that whole period. 
it was probably more like three years, to be honest. I really wanted to leave, but I felt like I couldn't leave. And I had like this obligation to keep it going and, and keep positive around everything, despite just like wanting to move on to something else. How did you find the right person? And you clearly spent the time you needed to spend to ensure that you had the right person. But how did it initially come about that, that this effort was going to be put in between the two of you? I had tried like a couple of times to like work with people collaboratively and it had kind of failed. The intentions were wrong and like people just were doing it more for the money than the actual community. With Richard, it was, he was a community member at heart and he loved testing. We held conferences, for example. He had, he had his first speaking gig at my conference. The first time he got up on stage was at Ministry of Testing and he kind of like grew up there over, I guess, like two or three years he was disillusioned with testing when he started, and as he discovered that like the testing community, he kind of got re-inspired. He kind of felt the connection with the testing world, and and we kind of joked like as as we were working together, he was like, one of the first things we did together is he helped me like run a conference in his hometown. He used to joke about like taking over the testing world. Is like if if we don't do something together, I'm just going to have to run you over, kind of thing. At the end of the day, it mostly came down to like us working together. So it was like. First, he, he helped me run a conference. So we collaborated on that, and I showed him how I ran a conference. And then um, after that, he, he just started taking on more and more responsibility, and he, it was kind of like proving his worth, and he was coming to me with ideas or coming to me with solutions and just like looking to take more and more off my plate. And that's really how it developed over, over like the first years, like that, that trust building. He was able and, and capable to do it, and... I guess, like, you know, he, he really had the right motivations behind it all, which is probably, like, the, the hardest thing to find with people. That's true. But it did sound like you put a fair bit of work into identifying the qualities of the person that you would want to find for that role. And I think somebody having an enduring passion for the subject matter certainly makes a huge difference. And, by the way, shouts for such a great niche. What a fabulous specific niche <laughs> yeah i mean lots of people like when they first like hear my story they're like what a community for testers how you know how is that even you know possible and and yet a profitable community for testers which is probably you know even harder to it's it's just hard to make communities work financially so as we kind of trace uh, out to kind of where you are today and can you tell us a little bit about your work with orbit and just kind of how your experience up to this point informs how you work with other community leaders and how you do that work. So like after ministry of testing, I, I went to Indie Hackers. At that point, I kind of like knew or I decided that I wanted to focus in on community as like a specialism. And like people in the testing world knew me as, you know, everyone knew me in the testing world. But when I went to Indie Hackers, like no one, no one really knew me. Me being at Indie Hackers was also a bit of a test for myself whether I could maintain the interest in community building, whether I could help build another community. Whilst I was in uh, Indie Hackers, I started writing about community building. I did that, uh, or oh, I'm doing that, rosy.land. That kind of started initially like as a newsletter and then a paid newsletter and now more of kind of a community around community building. I guess like when I started that, I was like, in my head, I had spent like 10 years building up Ministry of Testing I had like my own experiences and my way, my ways of doing things and my, I guess my successes. And I, I just felt like when 
I started exploring like the community world. No one was really talking about lots of the experiences that I had gone through or the way I, the ways I was trying to do things. To me, it was just like shouting out that there's something here. For me, it's like community is like everything. There's such a lack of information on it. And I guess like for me, it was like, this is what I want to do. Can, can I somehow build up this a reputation for it? I really want to write about stuff. I really want to talk about this stuff. And like, you know, how can I do that? So that became my focus with Rosie Land. As part of that, I started the, as I mentioned, the paid newsletter. And that was uh, my way of forcing myself to write. So it wasn't so much about the, the money. I had started like a free newsletter up on Substack. I tried for months to kind of write about community and I just never shipped anything. Uh, I was shipping like a weekly curated newsletter, which was like a bunch of links, but I wasn't actually writing any any of my like thoughts. One week I was like, right, I've had enough. I'm just going to switch on the paid features of Substack and I'm going to start charging and I'm going to commit to writing something every week. And that, that was about a year ago, actually, that. That I started that. And I've never written so much in my life. So that, you know, that's cool. Stressful at times. Definitely stressful. That led on to onto other things. My current boss subscribed to that newsletter and he invited me onto his podcast. Uh, we got chatting. We had a good chat. After I kind of accepted the job, I, I looked at my Substack stats and like he was one of my best subscribers. He had like read every post and stuff like that. So that's kind of funny. I love like Orbit, the team at Orbit, and the way they're trying to think about community. Um, and it's kind of taken it a, a new perspective, and it's more more data-driven, more kind of distributed, and kind of more thinking in a way of how can we understand communities better so that we can use that data to build up better communities, rather than, I guess, the more traditional sense is how can we get people to our platform and build community there? It's, it's more like um, how can we understand where people are and where they're having the conversations and work with them based on that? So I find that super, super interesting. Yeah, they've they've got the Orbit model, which is like a framework around community building as well as a way to think, think about community. I feel like having a framework is so valuable in a space. You, know, you said that there's just so much that needs to be discussed that isn't being put out there. And it's funny because I feel like maybe because of the bias of my own experience, that there's a lot of talk of community going on. For something like a framework for building a community, that could be hard to find. There's not a lot of great roadmaps for doing it sustainably and for doing it well in terms of really building meaningful relationships. That's great. Can you tell us a little bit about what that framework is, like just kind of generally how that's structured not to give away too much of the trade secret, but we'd just love to get kind of a, a sense of the philosophy behind it. The main framework is open source and freely available. It's called the Orbit model. I guess like the way I think about it is like there's paths for community members. And often like when we think of communities, like we don't really go into the depth of understanding who our users are and where they're at. So the, the Orbit model like, has these different levels level four, level three, level two, level one. And like level four is like, you know, the outer ring, the, the observers. And then each level, I should have this printed on my wall so I remember each level pro- properly. But uh, as you go to the inner ring, you say like from observers, they can become participants. And then like in the center, they're more like your, your kind of advocates, the people who are like, you know, shouting your brand, participating and speaking. So it kind of creates like this 
this kind of um, way to see how your members can get pulled in. And then and based on that, it's like, right, when you know that people are at these different levels, you treat them differently or you do different things with them. You know, people who are on the outer ring, the observers, you're going to send them different messages or reach out to them in different ways than, than you would with your kind of main advocates. Um, so like as, as a visual kind of representation, people find that really useful to, to think about. And then the software is kind of built with that in mind as like you can get data on people who, you know, are at these different levels. And the more they participate within your community and connect with your community, the, the levels basically kind of change based on various calculations that I don't really understand. So, yeah, I mean, there's that idea behind that. And then and then there's also this idea of, like, gravity. Like, within communities, they, quite often people, I think, talk about, like, sales and marketing. But instead of, like, using that kind of language, we use, like, gravity. It's like, how can you pull people in? How can you do things, create value, so that people are naturally, because they're excited or because they love what you do, it's not because of the sales or marketing messages, it's because you're doing things that are of value. So Rosie, in terms of who uses this model and who Orbit works with, who do you work with? Who does Orbit apply this model for? So they're a relatively new startup. I'm I'm not sure about names that I should or shouldn't mention. So it varies, big companies, small companies, indie creators, use it to track their Twitter community, for example, all the way up to uh, larger software companies that are using it to track their bigger communities. And I, I guess like being in a new company or a new startup, uh, there's there's lots lots of work to do. But there's probably, I think, you know, at the latest count, I don't really keep track of it, but it was like 4,000, 5,000 people have signed up to use it and trying it out. The interesting part of it is like, it pulls in a lot of data, so it's like really flexible in how how you use it. And I guess like part part of the challenge or part of my job is like helping people figure out how to use it to build better communities. And that's super interesting, but also like a really broad thing like for me to think about and try to try to tackle as community builder. Yeah, I'm looking at it. I signed up while we were talking, and it seems like I'm almost overwhelmed with possibilities and and correct me if I'm wrong. It's kind of like what I would call like deep metrics. Like it really gets into a lot of the kind of analytical side of what's going on in a community. And then you can use that information and data um, to inform what to do. Is there any like really common data sets or trends you're noticing in the communities you're working with? Definitely people using it to understand better the community, community analytics it's, re- it's really great for things like it, it creates a profile page of every user. So if, if someone participates through Twitter and Slack, then th- it creates a, a profile page for that. So you can you can start to track how they've come into the community. And like if you're, I guess, like if you're building a business, it's like when they convert, how long does it take them to convert? For me, it's like really interesting. Like I'm actually working like, for example, like with Ministry of Testing on, on figuring out, trying to help them figure out how to use it. And we've been diving into like some of the, their use cases and just to see like how community members sign up, how they engage, and then how they convert as customers is so interesting to see because like at the moment, there's like no way for people to know that. It's like, yes, you, you know you've got Twitter followers, you know you've got people on Slack or Discord, but you, you can't hook that information up easily. 
it's almost like a, lo- a deeper level into the psychology of it that, like you're saying, we've never really been able to see before. So yeah, I'm sure y'all are going to be publishing all sorts of just really powerful findings from this, you know, that will help inform other businesses on how to convert and engage. One of the things I've been doing is, or trying to encourage people to do is, like, instead of doing, like, surveys, like, you know, it's quite a typical thing for the companies to do or communities to do is, instead of doing that, it's like, ask them questions, whether it's on Twitter, on Discord or Slack. And when you ask them questions and people respond, then that pulls the answers in, into orbit. And it starts to build up a better picture of who, who your people are. So that when you do go to have conversations with them at a later stage, there's that information there so that you can almost use that to hold a better conversation. And that, you know, tactics like that, I think, are, are kind of like super interesting. It's like, how can we really get to know our members really well? How can, how can we learn to ask good questions that matter so that we can later then use that information for everyone's advantage and kind of like in the most positive way as well. And that's interesting. So you're saying instead of just putting out a survey where people answer and you're not necessarily tracking who said what, which time kind of thing, you're able to collect that into their profile within Orbit. And so you could look and be like, oh, look, Tony, here's his answers the last three months and like, check it out. Or are you also able to kind of like collate different things like if this then that like who thinks this this and this but also isn't commenting like can you deep dive on that level to sort people and just kind of see what's going on potentially i've not gone that far yet so say like there's people building community that maybe aren't using orbit yet although i'm sure they're enticed think you know with this with this uh, conversation but are are there some kind of like basic best practices you've found based on um, your own experience in general as a community builder, but also, you know, with the the data behind it, whether it's through Orbit or through anything? I guess like at this stage, because I don't want to stick my foot in it, but like things are still really early and like the product is, is developing. But I think at this stage, a lot of it, um, a, a lot of my thinking is about how much data can you gather about your members and not necessarily just in an automated way, but it's like, how can we create better pictures around who who your people are so that you can then, when the time is right, you can then like take action easily or more efficiently. So like as an example, it's like if you run an event, that's one bit of data that you can start tracking. It's like this this person attended this event. And over time, you you might be able to to see trends like, well, this person has attended 10 events. Oh, this is like someone coming into Orbit One. But then you can also do other things. It's like like one thing that I do is like um, put myself out there and I just have like community conversations with people. And every time I have a community conversation, I, I kind of like take notes and I add it to Orbit so that, you know, whether it's me or someone else from the team, that they'll see that history there. Some of the data is kind of automated, some of it's manual. So, and with the goal of really what what I'm trying to do is like, understand who, who our people are so that we can we can serve them better. You can't rely on your brain to do that. So how can we mix and match kind of good human tactics alongside, I guess, more, more automated options? So let's say the more data you collect, the, the easier it will be to reach out to these people. So say if, if people have attended five events and you want to reach out to only people who have attended five events or more, 
then it becomes really easy to kind of export that data and email them all. You know, that so you, you can start to segment people, you know, pretty, pretty easily. I guess as a mindset, it's like really trying to dig down into that and, and seeing value in maintaining data on, on, on people. What, what kind of questions are you asking, just out of curiosity? Like, what are some common questions you would send out to the community? Oh, I did this at Indie Hackers a lot, but, you know, it never fed into, into Orbit. Like, at Indie Hackers, I, I, I ran their, their Twitter account for a year or so. I used to ask all sorts of questions um, from what you're building to where are you in the world right now? Uh, what, what are your biggest challenges? I would quite often look like discussions and forum posts on indie hackers. I would post them onto Twitter as well. You use the phrase monthly recurring relationships online. <laughs> you want to tell us a bit about kind of the provocation behind that? It's through like Arvid Carl. He, he tweeted something about monthly MRR and like friendship or something like that. It just came to me as like, it's, it's monthly recurring relationships. It's like, instead of like the revenue, it's relationships. And then like, you know, I, I added that as a comment and then I was like, oh, this is interesting. And so I created, you know, I wrote another tweet saying, you know, on its own a few days later, it's like MRR is monthly recurring relationships. And then like, I, I took it a bit further thinking, all right, if monthly recurring relationships was a community metric, what would it look like? I, ha- I haven't developed like specific thoughts about that yet these are the types of questions i put out there to get like ideas and feedback from the community and but like monthly recurring relationships i think is is kind of a super potentially super interesting metric that we could create right oh that's like the most genius metric i've ever heard of because that is community right there right that's what we should be doing as community builders is like do you know keeping in contact with people every month and how can you do that? And how can you measure that? Should we even measure it? Or how can you use software, Orbit, or whatever you want to use to, to keep in touch with people and, and keep those going every month? Not necessarily just email blasting people, but like genuine conversations. How can you scale that? How can you do it in a human way? I know. Well, yeah, even just thinking about just each different community, it might be it's so individual, right? Like our community is on a dedicated platform that's private. And, you know, so would it be some sort of engagement metric there, you know, and what, what is the threshold? Is it someone who logs in versus comments versus makes a unique post? Yeah. So many things versus like you're saying, like, if it's more of a, if it's like a more in public community, like on Twitter, is it a like, is it a response or retweet or all of the above? But I think you're on to something that I'm I'm totally now just like my I'm in, my brain's in like a spin of like, ooh. <laughs> and you can give value to different activities as well. And Orbit kind of caters towards that. So someone speaking at an event gets that has a higher points mark than a like on a tweet, for example. Totally. Both you and I are like, ooh. <laughs> just to add to that, I think like this kind of stuff is important to me as a way to rethink what communities are and how how we can build communities. So it's like really like a lot of the reason I'm here now, not not here on this podcast, but here like doing community stuff is, you know, I, I wanna I wanna explore how to build better communities. And the, the the more I think about it, the more I write, the more I tweet, 
these new things kind of come up and I think that's pretty exciting. I think there's a lot of work that everybody could do to contribute to building better communities. Absolutely. And I think there's something so valuable about being curious and staying curious. So even though you've, you know, successfully built community before, you have that under your belt, you're not just leaning on that. You're still thinking about things and being analytical and, you know, trying to figure out even better ways. And I think the more of us that do that and and talk about it, the better for all of us, right? Because then we can learn from each other, get these awesome acronyms that mean something even cooler than what we used to know it as and keep on building. I want to ask you, Rosie, your perspective on the role of questions. You had said that the questions you ask may be more important than the commentary you make. And I noticed that you pretty regularly post provocative, open-ended questions about how do you know when there is a community or how do you maintain energy as a community leader? And I feel like creating the space for people to answer those questions gives us a way to get to know each other better and get to know ourselves better and explore this topic. But it's got to be super valuable to you as well. Have you found that to be super valuable? Yeah. I keep meaning to like collect all my questions that I've ever asked and like build it into something special. So that's like on my to-do list that I need to find the time to do. I think questions are super valuable. Like say, they give the people the opportunity to participate. And that's like one reason behind it. Another reason is really believing in people that other people have their own world views and their own experiences. And they can come in with super valuable responses that we can all learn learn from. Another way is connecting. You know, it's a way to connect people if, if you know, it's like, you know, I'm pretty convinced that the questions that I put out, people have connected over them and, you know, definitely made friends because of that. And I guess, like, there's a couple of other points. It's like, one, I think, like, questions can be huge, like, educational tools within themselves. It's like, they don't necessarily need answers, but just the mere act of asking a question makes people think about the answer and come up with their own response that's, even if it's just in their own head, they, they'll come up with their own kind of, response that is relevant to them and then it comes back to like also I guess the the idea of like sometimes we think other people hold the answers and I like to show people that actually I don't know the answers and I think too many people like to kind of come across as like experts or gurus and almost like falsely lead people down the wrong path and I just think like if you're leading a space and you're openly asking these questions and appreciating the responses as well. It it shows people that we're all here learning and we can all like kind of figure stuff out together. That is so true. Like collaboration will always produce better efforts than, you know, individual thinking. But I really want to just circle back and touch on something you said that just like sparks joy in my soul, which is the importance of seeing different perspectives, especially, you know, we're so fortunate with technology to have this like global community that, you know, not not too long ago wasn't possible. And so we're able to get so many different people's life experiences and belief systems in one room. And if we're willing to just be open and meet people where they are, you know, we can learn so much from each other. And also just something we talk about a lot on our team with our community, you know, just about meeting people where they are, but also, you know, being open to different perspectives and, and learning from that. It's just, it's just huge. So I'm glad, I'm glad you brought that up. 
All right. I think we're up to that time. Jillian, do you want to lead us through the, I keep calling it the lightning round, but that's not what we call it. Well, we can call it the lightning round. The hot seat. <laughs> the hot seat. I think we call it both. The hot seat lightning round of doom. The hot seat lightning round with Poppy in the background barking. <laughs> we could call so, it the rosy round to- for, for the rosy for this, round. The rosy round for this this edition. All right, the rosy round has commenced. <laughs> Rosie, when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? I had no idea. Absolutely zero idea. <laughs> Love Never it. know, like, ooh, that's fair. I like that you lived in the moment. You just enjoyed your childhood. How do you define community? Uh, I try not to, um, but if I have to, I would say it's about uh, people coming together over something uh, they have in common, common interest, I guess. It's such a hard question for community builders, isn't it? Because it's like, how do you not define it? I, th- I, think the, <laughs> I think the answer I try not to is... A really good answer. (laughs) Probably the best answer. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Um, Rosie, what is something that is on your bucket list for your life that you have done? I have done. I unschool my kids. What does unschool? Tell us a little bit more about what that is. Uh, I don't send them to school. And we, me and my husband raise them together. And we juggle everything together. And there's no curriculum but we kind of work with each child to figure out what they need. I've got five kids as well. So Wow. That sounds like a lot. Like just, well, five in general. I have one and I can't even imagine. But then, yeah, with the unschooling, you must have wonderful relationships. Yes. It's not perfect. I've, I've got one son who's on the spectrum as well. So obviously it brings its challenges. Uh, I may have others on the spectrum as well, as we've learned through my eldest now. But yeah, I mean, I would I wouldn't change it change it for the world. And yeah, they're, they're aged between three and seventeen at the moment. But yeah, my my two eldest went to school for a while. My three youngest haven't. And there's definitely an extra bit of an innocence on my three youngest ones who've never been. That's sweet. All right. And then, what is something on your bucket list that you have not yet done, but you hope to in your lifetime? Probably just like take time off, a long bit of time off. I, I've i not done that properly. I left home when I was 18 and I've just been on the go since. So I'm 42 now. So, you know, I, I should just like take some time off. What is a book that you just are currently just really loving or just one of your all-time favorites? Oh, good question. I'm reading Rob Fitzpatrick's book. I, I, I honestly haven't read a lot of books recently because life, but I'm, I'm keen to write a book on community building and I like Rob Fitzpatrick's work. He's, was it writing useful books? That's probably not the exact title, but I, I like his way of thinking and I'll probably write a book based on, on his advice soon. Oh, well, keep us posted on that because that's, you know, obviously up our alley. I guess that's on my bucket list is like writing a book. Yeah. yeah. I like that. You could like, you could almost combine those, like do like a sabbatical, just casually write a book while you're on it. (laughs) Maybe then it's not really a holiday. Okay. So you mentioned before you live in Brighton in the UK, if you could live anywhere else in the world, where would that be? I wouldn't move. We tried moving once and we came back. And I think when you, when you move away, you realize like what you, what you have. We're very happy here. 
we've been we've been in Brighton mostly, apart from the time we went away for eighteen months for over twenty years. And when you have kids, it actually gets really complicated to move and like the friendships they have. So we're we're in the process of renovating our house right now, and the house will be amazing. So it's like I can't. It's You're big, set. Yeah, we're set. Yeah, it's like this is totally. our house. We're going to stay here forever. What was like the thing when you moved that you missed most about Brighton? Like what, what pulled you back the most? Brighton's like a, a youngish kind of city. You know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, got it's tre- I guess trendy. I don't feel so trendy anymore. Like when I've been here 20 years, I definitely don't go to the town center as much anymore. But I guess part of it has been by the sea and like having those sea views and like I go running along the sea seafront. Like, that sounds lovely. Most of my my point of reference for Brighton is like Jane Austen novels. So I'd love to someday actually see it for sure. Just makes me think of sea bathing. Okay. And final question. How do you want to be remembered? Oh, good question. Oh, I want to be remembered as someone who, who's done the right thing, who always tries to do the right thing. And I think that goes through everything I do is I, I never do anything for the money. Though I know money is important, especially as a founder, not so much founder now, more employee, but, you know, I still, you know, even as an employee, I'm not even doing it for the job or, you know, know, I'm doing it because I want to do it. And I'm always trying to do the right thing. So I hope that, you know, people notice that. I love that answer. I hope people are inspired by that to do the same. Thank you. All right. you, You passed the rosy round. You did it. (laughs) <laughs> flying colors <laughs> rosie um where can where should people find you it sounds like twitter for sure yeah definitely twitter rosie sherry on twitter rosie.land for my writing stuff and orbit.love is where i work at the moment excellent well it has been such a pleasure tony any any parting thoughts no i'm just so glad to have you along rosie excited to continue following your amazing story being inspired by your provocative sharings and questions on twitter and keep up the amazing work thank you rosie sherry everybody so great she's great and such a pleasure to just hang with i feel like my own blood pressure went down just sitting here hanging out chatting with her which I think is such a great attribute for a community leader. Yeah, she has a super chill vibe, which I appreciate because you can just talk. Although, you know, for the for people listening, we're on video and we talk and her eyes definitely lit right up when we got into into relationships and and approaching, you know, how you approach like managing monthly relationships and whatnot. It was it, there was some magic happening. It was great. But yeah, there was so much there. She's had such a journey. Yeah. One of the first things we started on, which is kind of weird because it's about endings, is the exit strategy, which can be such an elusive thing for a community leader. Honestly, I don't know if I've heard that strategy before. And I think it goes a lot into how much she cared about the community she built, even though, you know, she was feeling burnt out and didn't really necessarily want to manage it anymore and put all that love into it. The fact that she, you know, really thought about it and then identified somebody who was so active and then really curated that relationship and handed it off in like such a slow role, but in a way that it maintained itself 
beautifully across that transfer of power, I guess, for lack of a better term. Yeah. It's healthy to have that in mind regardless, is to be thinking about who's in that position where they could be helping lead things, regardless of if you ever have any intention of having somebody else take over and run the show, because you may not know where things are going to go. Yeah, I think there's just really something to say about planning for an exit. So even if it's not, if it's something you're mulling over, and also just in general to have standard operating procedures, what to do in situations, just documenting how you run a community is super valuable, even if you don't plan on leaving, but also super valuable if you do plan on handing it off and stepping down. Communities, I think, don't love change, don't love big changes. They they get used to things the way they are. So anything you can do to make the changes less obvious to the people in your community the better. Rosie used the word trapped multiple times. And anybody who's run a community for long enough can probably resonate with that feeling. And the truth is, there's a number of ways that a person exits leadership of a community. And a good number of those ways involve the community not being around anymore. That can be okay in certain contexts. But the point is, if you make the decision to kind of undertake the journey of being a community leader, it's important as early as possible to just have that in your mind, to be thinking about what's kind of the graceful way that I can eventually be stepping away from leadership and how can I be laying the foundation for new leadership to be emerging, which doesn't guarantee that it will emerge. I've tried to find that succession leadership in communities I've run and and I failed at it at times. So It's not always a guarantee, but certainly keeping your eyes open for it can help give you some better options down the line. And part of that is, in my mind, what the orbit model tries to get a handle on, which is these, I'm calling them concentric circles, concentric circles of participation in a community, recognizing that there are some people who are going to be on the periphery who might subscribe to your newsletter or follow you on social media, but they might be very quiet. And then there are people who are maybe going to be more participatory, showing up at your event programming, engaging with you. Maybe they're a customer. And then there are the people who are kind of the super members. And by the way, this isn't the orbit model. This is just my kind of take on the idea that there are these different levels. So for the proper orbit model, go check it out on their site. But the idea that understanding what the different gradations are of the levels of participation in your community, and then making it easy for for people to kind of fit into those categories. So if you know that people are at these different levels, you can design different kinds of experiences for each of those levels. Make sure that you've got a good community experience at each of those levels. And you want to try to make it as easy and smooth as possible for people to transition between those levels, both further in and further out. Yeah, there's so many different types of community members, and it's certainly of value to spend some time, people in the outer rings of the circle, if you will, um, trying to get them more engaged and more invested in your community. And you can't really do that until you identify where they are. So being able to do that, whether it's with a tool like Orbit or, you know, your own, um, looking at your own metrics and engagement data, 
looking at that as you try things with different people in those outer circles, it will help inform what works. I also want to bring up as a takeaway the language of monthly recurring relationships and just the, just that little nudge of thinking in terms of not just monthly recurring revenue, but maybe that form of that delicious form of currency that just can't quite be measured in dollars, but is so indelible and so powerful. It is though. I think it's so important. Like obviously revenue is the bottom line. It's going to play a role. And even what Rosie was saying at the end in the, in the Rosie round about, you know, it's not about money. It's about, you know, doing what you love. I think it's all similar. Like, yeah, money's a part of it, but, and if you're cultivating your monthly recurring relationships, you're ultimately improving your revenue as well. Yeah. Anybody who is building relationships, especially ones that are, I guess, recurring ones, ones that grow over time, is going to be in a great position to build a thriving business. That's a big part of, I think, this, the hypothesis behind why we talk about community from a business perspective in a lot of what we do. Because good community is good business. And, you know, honestly, though, it's even even outside of business, I think just like human relationships, it kind of got me thinking, like, even just like friendships, if you want to say, like, I want to commit to, you know, talking and whatever that means, be text or like actual phone call or in person, you know, investing in your relation, your personal relationships. So, you know what, I haven't talked to my friend Lindsay in a while, even though we live near each other, just COVID and whatnot, I'm going to see if, you know, she wants to get together for some hot tea maybe later this week, you know, maybe an Earl Grey, maybe a chai. Lindsay can't wait to hear from you, Jillian. <laughs> but it's, you know, it's like, oh, I haven't, you know, I haven't been investing in that relationship lately. We've both been busy, but I'm going to take a minute. I think it's a lovely analogy. All right, y'all. Thanks for joining. Keep doing everything you could do to make the world a more belongful place in your neighborhood, in yourself, and the people you know. Keep gathering. Keep doing good things to make people less lonely. and Keep being awesome. Yeah, this has been the Community Experience. We'll see you next Tuesday. Bye. This has been the Community Experience. For more information on this episode, including links and show notes, head over to smartpassiveincome.com slash listen. To find more about Rosie Sherry, you can head over to rosie.land, R-O-S-I-E dot L-A-N-D. And you can find her on Twitter with her wonderful provocations at twitter.com slash Rosie Sherry, S-H-E-R-R-Y. And Orbit can be found at orbit.love. Your hosts are me, Jillian Benbow, and Tony Bacigalupo. The Community Experience is a production of SPI Media. Our executive producer is Matt Gartland. Our series producers are David Grabowski and senior producer Sarah Jane Hess. Editing and sound design by Duncan Brown. Music by David Grabowski. See you next time. <laughs>